Welcome to the Pain Podcast, presented by Le Peuple Scientifique. We are thrilled to bring you a platform that unites clinicians, researchers, and pain advocates in sharing a pursuit, understanding pain. In this series of podcasts, we aim to bridge the gap between scientific knowledge and practical applications in the field of pain. Our episodes will feature insightful discussions with leading experts, exploring the latest research findings, innovative treatments and emerging trends in the realm of pain. Whether you are a healthcare professional seeking evidence-based practices, a researcher diving into the depths of the pain mechanisms, or a dedicated advocate striving to improve the lives of individuals in pain, you are welcome. Check out our website, get confident and competent in treating pain. Start today. And today I've got the great pleasure of welcoming Sharon Goulbert. Sharon is a Quest Cognitive Hypnotherapist, a pain science educator and trustee of the Volvo Pain Society. She's been a great uh, supporter of Le Pub Scientifique in the past. She's spoken in London and she's been a panelist for us. And, uh, and today we're going to explore uh the role of cognitive hypnotherapy and a number of different elements of that so thank you Sharon for agreeing to be on the podcast yay excited <laughs> I'm not sure that the 11 minute timer that I can see on screen is slightly concerning me you're gonna have to rein me in a bit <laughs> well let's just see where we go and in 11 minutes it will find it's not that long so I'm gonna kick off the 11 minute timer and see where we go Woo. so well let's start with something I mean, simple, cognitive hypnotherapy, what is it and, and how is it applied then for someone in pain? Um, so QCH, shortening it down for the interest of time, uh, it's a flexible collaborative approach uh, tailored to the unique individual sitting in front of us. Uh, draws knowledge from different areas, uh, cognitive neuroscience, evolutionary biology, psychoneuroimmunology, um, and it's got quite a wide framework. Uh, so cognitive and behavioral therapies, gestalt, transactional analysis, mindfulness, coaching. And we're interested in using a person's own language of influence to affect change. So we're listening out for language patterns. We're also interested in their body language, their facial expressions. We're looking out for mismatches between what they might be telling us and what's really going on. And in terms of pain, if we're thinking about the data flooding in through our senses at any one moment and, you know, it gets processed, processed um, unconsciously, automatically, most of that data is going to get deleted. Some of it is going to get generalized to fit our own beliefs. And then we're presented with a certain amount of data. So if someone's got, for example, they've got pelvic pain and they see a chair in front of them and they've got to sit in a lecture, they might already be running some of these processes. You know, there's that unconscious pattern match, we might call it, of, oh, goodness, I've seen that chair before. We've had to sit in that before and it might evoke a number of reactions. So we're looking at those kind of beliefs and how that could be changed. And, you know, we're not working on our own here. We may be working alongside a physio or whoever else might be appropriate. We're still talking multidisciplinary care, but we are talking full biopsychosocial here. And more 
you know, and, and more complexity here. Um, yes, the expectation anticipation response, but that pattern match may not be as simple as, oh, there's a chair there. It might be they're feeling already feeling anxious about something or that ang anxious response. Let's say they're getting a feeling in their chest actually evokes a memory from something in the past that is absolutely not linked to what is obvious in terms of pain. Um, I've had people go back to school nativity plays and their performance they didn't particularly enjoy. And that anxiety is somehow linked in with their present experience of pain. We don't know how it links up, but these things just kind of pop up when we are um, going through the, the cognitive hypnotherapy journey. So we are interested in context, um, anticipation, expectation, the beliefs um, the, the, that we have and uh, the emotions that, that come up in the thought processes. Mm. That's it in a nutshell. And you've just opened up so, <laughs> so much, <laughs> so many different places that we can go with that. I'm interested, so a conversational process. So, you know, what would typically feel or look like then as you, as you just begin that process? There is no typical, of course there isn't, right? But if we ask a simple question, such as what was going on in your life before the pain emerged, uh, let's say that in the year or two before your pain emerged, there can be sometimes some indicators there. It might've been a stressful time in that person's life. They may have already been on a little bit of high alert or a little bit of that fight or flight response, or even a freeze response where, where there, there was a lot of tension in their body. There may be some clues there. Um, for other people, it may be context. You know, what's the, are there times where your pain is, is better? you know, that it's, it's, it's kind of dampened down a little bit. And for some people, that question is difficult. It is easier to turn it the other way. Are there times where your pain is worse? They can answer that one. And we want to know what's the difference that makes a difference here? What is it that's being perceived that is different in that moment for that person that makes a difference? Um, I'd like to say it's as simple as, oh, well, it's a, it's a cloudy day, but it's never as easy as that. It's always going to be complex and it's going to be multifactorial and it makes it fascinating. Um, but we are looking, what's the difference that makes the difference in this context between why something is worse and something is better? Mm. And it may not be, and it, look, it's often not what the person thinks it is because we're not consciously aware of the underlying processes that go on, which is why when memories pop up, and when we talk about memories, we do just say, look, it's a representation of what may or may not have happened because memories are changeable too. Let's just use it as a metaphor for a, a process of change. Mm. Although when we see trauma attached to it, sometimes that memory can become such a salient thing can't it um, yeah, absolutely yeah. yeah and there are um some of us who are look as, as when we're training qch you are absolutely encouraged to go outside of that and really learn and broaden your experience it is just the start you know you do 10 10 months of training two years of supervision and you are encouraged to look outside and um, I'm trained in AMDR which is a trauma-informed approach which I think is important when it comes to people living with persisting pain because sometimes whether it's like, I'm not sure about the the phrasing of this small T or big T trauma, but 
you know, it may not be an obvious trauma. And I think these kind of approaches um, can be useful. Um, EMDR is, is the precursor to that. So you, people may be familiar with um, veterans coming back and they, they have a, a light kind of, they have to follow from side to side as they are bringing up the trauma experience. We've got slightly different ways of doing that now because it may not be about the light, it probably isn't. It probably isn't about bilateral stimulation, we don't know. <laughs> But there's something going on and it is about getting safety back in that person's body before we even um, look at uh, what the, the trauma might be. Lovely. Can you tell, so AMDR, what does that stand for? Oh, yes. Uh, applied Movement Desensitization and Reprocessing. Lovely. Lovely. So the idea of safety, and it makes me think we're recording this in a time when we're just coming through a pandemic, things are a little bit safer. But something that I'm seeing a lot of in my patients is, you know, many little traumas or or even the sense that, well, I wasn't that bothered by what was going on. It was that enough to have been that sort of catalyst for this particular pain problem. And yeah. I'm thinking specifically about a, a man I was seeing yesterday where he was like, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm that man who should be this anxious around it. Um, what have you thought when you hear things like that? What, what's going through your mind? This is so familiar. So you've got two things here. You know, we've had these these two years, which, you know, many people may have found challenging, but for other people, it may be a sort of drip drip effect um, in the background that they're not really aware of. You know, when we talk about emotions, often we think, well, I'm not feeling anything, but actually it could just be we're not tuned into our body we're not you know somatically aware in that way and i think that's important i have so many people who say oh, i'm just a happy person i'm i'm the joker i'm you know i'm the person everyone wants to hang around with i'm not depressed at all i'm not sad at all and they're not you know we're not saying anyone we're not giving people a label saying you're depressed or anxious whilst they may be contributing factors in some people um it's just but there is something going on and it may be that they're not aware of that. And that awareness can be challenging when it's brought to um, conscious awareness. So part of the journey for, for something, and I, I work with people over a period of time, you know, there's, you know, I don't talk about quick fixes. We've got some great techniques in, in hypnosis um, that can dampen down the pain experience for a per person sometimes short term, sometimes for a bit longer, but I am more interested in the whole person and all the different elements that might be contributing factors because someone can be well for a short period of time and hey, that, that could be all sorts of reasons for that, right? Um, we know that. And what if a year down the line or two years down the line, they, their pain re-emerges, but it's worse? Do they feel like that that thing that we did didn't work? So we need to resource the person so much more. Yeah. Um, I've lost my thread because I've just looked at the clock and is it stuck? <laughs> well, I've got one thirty on my on my okay. ticking down. So yeah, you've got a minute and thirty seconds left, Sharon. <laughs> okay. What should I talk about? Quick. <laughs> oh, well, 
Well, I, I've got a few things that have coming up, coming up. Well, one of them is the the inability to sense in themselves, and you were saying so like that they're, they're not in touch or able to get in touch with that <clears throat> emotional state. And yeah, I think there can be a level of dissociation for some people as a safety response because if we've been experiencing pain in our body for a, for a period of time then it can feel like it's not safe to be in your body. And there could be two things going on there, that it's not safe to be in your body or it's not safe to feel good in your body because there is a threshold point of, well, there's there's some there's a threat here. We shouldn't be feeling good. So some people can't feel good in their body. So that's the starting point to, for them to have an awareness of what it's like to feel safety in their body. For some people that can happen, you know, quicker than others, but that could be a starting point. For other people, they may be already there and feeling good and they are aware of those good experiences, um, but they're not aware that there's other things going on like anxiety um, or a, a stress response going on. It could be they're watching TV and watching the news and having a stress response and not aware of it, or they're reading a thriller book and they're experiencing a, you know, a stress response. You know, they're, they're thinking they're enjoying it, which they are because they like what they're reading, let's say, because they like the, the thriller genre, but there could be a, a, you know, a fight or flight response going on and you know, just before bed might not be the time for that. Um, so it's bringing awareness to the things that might not be serving them very well and for them to recognize what that's like and be in their body, that somatic experience. Lovely. Wow. We're really digging into some some really interesting topics there. So, well, Sharon, <laughs> thank you so much for being a guest. On. For those of you who are subscribers to Le Pub Scientifique, and if you're not, you can, you can subscribe. You'll be able to hear a little bit more chats that we're going to just dig into deeper after this. Um, but for the sake of the podcast, I just want to say thank you so much for listening. Subscribe to the podcast, like it, leave a review, tell everybody about it, friends, family, colleagues. Um, and you can find Le Pubsy and Defique on all the different social media platforms. Sharon is also findable as well. And we will leave her details on the podcast and also on our social media platforms. So huge, huge thanks. Oh, thank you. <laughs> thanks for having me on.